wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian, born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years and have been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country and now around the world who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Gene. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Greetings. Today we chat with Jane Fadley, who retired to Fletcher, North Carolina. As wonderful as Fletcher is, Jane actually first moved to Ireland to retire. Ah, close your eyes and imagine the castles, lighthouses, sitting on majestic green pastures, surrounded by blue waters. Oops, not for those of you who are driving. Sorry, I didn't mean that. I used to do that. So do not close your eyes when you're driving. Jane will share her special story with us, but let's give Fletcher, North Carolina, its due. Fletcher is a town in Henderson County in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains with over 8,000 residents as of 2018. It's west of Raleigh, the capital of North Carolina. It's about 12 miles south of Asheville, which has become very popular and overpopulated, we hear. Here's an interesting geological fact. Among other things, Fletcher possesses limestone, which is a key commodity, a valuable resource for agricultural farming, and Fletcher has one of the few limestone quarries east of Knoxville. The limestone, which was first mined in the early 1800s, is still being actively mined there. Very cool. Why do we note this? Because some of the most beautiful homes are built with limestone, and it's one of Gillen's favorite materials. <laughs> now, I'm not sure that's what brought Jane to Fletcher, but we'll hear more soon. Yes, we will. Okay, Gil, here's a little background about Jane. She was born in Vancouver, Washington, and raised in Washington State and Oregon. She attended the University of Oregon and the University of Northern Iowa. She worked primarily in office settings, eventually becoming a legal secretary. The position from which she retired to at the age of 63 to move to Ireland. Nice. A fascinating side note, Jane worked a couple of seasons as a laborer on the Trans-Alaska Pipeline in the 1970s, one of a very small percentage of women employed on the pipeline, when 2,500 miles of road to Fairbanks, Alaska from Seattle were, were unpaved. Then, Jane became a writer. Jane's passion for Ireland spawned four nonfiction books. First is Irish Bits and Pieces, published in 2020. 
Seasons of Ireland, published in 2017. Then, well, not in any particular order, but Chickens in the Garden, Wellies by the Door, and American Rural Island, published in 2015. Then she wrote a sequel to that. It's called Leaving Ireland, The Long Road Back to America. That was published in 2018. She's also a fiction writer. Her latest book of fiction is Lost and Found in Ireland, A Time to Mourn, A Time to Dance. Then there's also Apple Tree Lane, published in 2018, set in the late 1950s. It was Jane's first foray into fiction, intended to be a children's novel. Those who like looking back to a simpler time might also enjoy it. Then there's There's a Leprechaun Under My Bed, (laughs) also released in 2018. It's a children's story, but may appeal to anyone at any age who loves all things Irish. And we will list all of these books in the show notes. And she still works, but part-time as hospital courier, which earns her extra traveling money. Her interests include writing and traveling, reading and gardening, watching old classic movies, think of TMC, being by the sea, live music, especially bluegrass and mountain music, though Irish traditional is her preference when she can get it. She also likes history, watching nature, changing seasons, and enjoys meeting and chatting with folks, which is very good for us. Yeah. Wow, Jane, I wish I could have Scotty beam you up to Dublin. (laughs) Get it, Jean? Get it? Okay. Jean and I are so excited to have you join our podcast. We have so many questions. We Really, we do. But before we get to Fletcher, would you mind telling us about your connection and move to Ireland and why you had to leave? It's a really long story, but I'll try to make it reasonably short and <laughs> sweet. I do have Irish ancestry, although not recent enough to allow me to have citizenship. has to be a parent or a grandparent. My grandmother was Irish, but she was born in America. So that's out. I long had wanted to go to Ireland. In 2009, I finally just said, okay, this is it. I'm going. I went for two weeks and within two days, I was like, I just don't ever want to leave here. It just, and a lot of people say this, that it just felt like home. It it just felt like I was supposed to be there as though it was returning home, though I'd never been. So for the next four years, I went back, I I was still working full time. So I went back on my two week vacation. It it just, it never got old. It, I, it, just kept feeling the same way. So then I got an idea. Why am I spending all this money just to go there annually for two weeks, coming back, feeling homesick for all that period in between, and maybe I should move there. So it took a lot of research to find out if I really actually could do that legally, financially, you know, a lot of considerations. So I spent probably, I don't know, several months, uh, thanks to the internet, being able to do a lot of research. And I determined that, yes, the answer was yes to all of those questions. So I just took the leap and I sold my home, my car, most of my possessions, got a small storage room for just some things I just couldn't seem to let go of, although I probably should have. (laughs) And in the meantime, I had lined up a place to live via a woman that I met on the internet. And it was a restored 18, I don't know, built in the early 1800s cottage, really more like a row house, but they call them cottages. 
And the landlord lived a couple of doors down in the house where he had lived his entire life. <laughs> 61, I think he was. And it was great. It, and I paid the equivalent of about 500 US dollars a month wow. for a two bedroom, one and a half bath, original stone fireplace. I mean, please. Wow. <laughs> really? It, it was, of course, it had its drawbacks. Uh, doesn't everywhere. The laundry situation was a bit of an issue. They uh, Europe loves the, you know, the machines that are supposed to do both. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. But they really don't. <laughs> Good to know, because I see so many of these being installed in these home TV shows. I know. And, and maybe there are higher quality ones that actually do. But the problem is, is it's washing the clothes and then it's drying them. Maybe if you put two or three items. Yeah. <laughs> to trek to the laundromat, but no big deal. It was a few blocks, you know, I didn't have a car. I didn't want to have a car because that would be an extra expense. Mm -hmm. And the primary drawback was every year that you live there, you have to apply to immigration, to the government for permission to stay. And that means showing what your income is, what your expenses are, essentially just showing that you can support yourself, you know, cover your expenses because they don't want you to become a burden to right. the state, right? Ironically, right. as an American, I wasn't eligible for any social welfare services anyway. Exactly. So, and then you pay like 300 euros a year. So you just, that's what you have to do every year. I believe now after a certain number of years, it's five or six years, you can try to get on a path to citizenship. But you see, I never made it that long because they changed their immigration policy to wanting people much with much more wealth than I had. Myself and many other people had to leave the country. Wow. Did you, while you were there, did you meet other um, expats who were in similar situation and became friends? And A few. And then I also met people via the internet when this whole thing started of getting rid of Americans. Uh, there was one woman who had bought a home. Now I was just renting because I thought, I don't know, what, right. say a year, maybe I'll stay five years. I don't know. Right. She had bought a home, but they don't look at that as an asset. Oh. She had to leave that home in someone else's charge. And oh. it was a bad thing. And most American or most Irish citizens were totally unaware that was the policy. They were shocked. You know, why, why don't we want Americans spending American dollars our country. You know, the population of Ireland still is not back to what it was before the famine. Wow. I don't think most people know that. It's a small country, but there are tons of vacant homes, finished homes, places waiting to be restored. Wow. Open land. I mean, it's, yeah. It's such a waste. I know. So it broke my heart to leave because after almost three years, I mean, if I thought it felt like home after two days, well, you can only imagine after three years. Right. I was entrenched. That was home. Right. And did you live, could you walk like to a coffee shop? Was there a little downtown you could walk to? I was, now they don't use blocks as a measurement in Mm -hmm. Ireland, but if they did, (laughs) I was about two blocks from the, there's three main streets in the town of Kenmare. It's kind of in a triangle. I was about two blocks from there. With, I don't know how many pubs, cafes, restaurants, convenience store. And then I was also another 10, 15 minute walk to a major supermarket. So I did everything on foot. If I wanted to go to Killarney, which was about 25 minutes by bus, I would just walk up to the bus stop, 
hop on the bus, go to Killarney, spend the day. Obviously, a lot more stuff in Killarney as far as shopping. and But I still didn't do it very often. I mean, there's always Amazon, right? <laughs> huge Amazon shopper when I lived in Ireland. Sure. But yeah, so I, you know, I saw people, except when I was heavily riding chickens in the garden, you know, I'd go out every day for a walk or up for a coffee or to the pub to hear music or whatever. And it was a rarity to not run into someone that I knew, be it just an acquaintance or a friend. Wow. It was exactly what I needed, exactly what I was looking for. Interesting. You know, it's it's a shame that the law's are what they are in terms of ancestry proximity. Clearly, you're Irish, and but you don't have that immediacy required for the citizenship. And yet, you are someone who fits right in. Uh, you know, you not only did you love the place, but you can you have the ties. And it makes me think I've never been to China. My parents and my grandparents on both sides have passed. So I wonder if I go there which I hope to be soon, should I fall into this, wow, I feel like I'm home, <laughs> you know, even though I'm a New Yorker, an American, born in Brazil, I wonder if if uh, I would feel that way. So that's fascinating to me. You know, I don't, I think maybe you would, and maybe people do this in other countries. There's something about Ireland. There's an awful lot of people that have absolutely no Irish connection feel when they get there this feels like home or this feels familiar or like a, like a place that I've been before. It's just, I don't know what it is. I couldn't, you know, I, I think it's a combination of probably primarily the people uh, and their very welcoming, inclusive attitudes, the way that generations mix, like you go to the pub and you'll find somebody my age, a six-year-old having dinner with their family a 20-year-old, I had lots of friends that were in their 20s. And it was like, no big deal. I'm just another person, right? I'm not an old woman. <laughs> Interesting. All of that, I think, and the culture, the music, uh, the humor, all plays into it. Right. What was the the food like um, when you say uh, diverse? Mm. What is that? Uh, you know, I, I think several decades ago, Ireland was not known for having good food. Well, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think England was either. Right, right. <laughs> it is a foodies paradise now. Really? Very much um, farm to table, organic. Now, you would not find the diversity in restaurants that you would in New York, obviously. But yeah, there's a lot. Of, I mean, they've even got, um, I think they've even got a Mexican restaurant now. They didn't. I was always wishing that I could open a little taco stand. Yeah. <laughs> Go nuts, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, different types of food, especially in Dublin. Now, not so much in Kenmare because it's just a, it's a smaller town. There's like seven. It's a population of 7,000, which includes all the outlying people on the farms and all that. Oh, OK. So it's not very big. Can you talk about what types of activities were available in, I guess, where you were. You So you lived in Kenmare, right? And what kinds of, for socializing, other than pubs and bars, you know, what other things w would be available for retirees? Right. Well, let me begin by saying the pubs, it's a whole different thing in Ireland than a pub here. It is very much a public house, which is, of course, what pub stands for. Mm -hmm. And that is where people meet 
that's just how it is. That's part of the culture. But like I think I also mentioned, there's little cafes and coffee shops. In Kenmare, there is a, a small theater and library. And I actually volunteered for the theater for a year or so. That was fun. Hmm. And they'll, they'll have local productions as well as traveling you know, companies that come through. Right. They have night classes through like an uh, extension, you know, adult education sort of right. thing. Right. Um, there's people that that will take you on fishing trips or out into the woods to identify, you know, plants and birds and all that. So oh, nice. it's pretty limitless in that regard, except in the winter. The winter, it becomes quite closed down and very quiet. But I liked it in the winter <laughs> because it became more of a local place, as in no tourists passing through. Um, Kenmare's a big tourist area because it's on the Ring of Kerry. So in, in winter, a few places would just close down altogether and you wouldn't have people taking you on fishing tours or anything like <laughs> that. But you got to know people better in the wintertime. You know, you would gravitate to the pub with the open fire, go on Sunday afternoon to hear some music, you know, which are just local people playing. Right. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it and sounds so I just nice. I want to ask before we go on to, to the States, what, what was the weather like? How cold was it in the winter? Well, you know, everything was in Celsius. So I was constantly trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fairly temperate. You know, it's there's there's not huge fluctuations. There's definitely seasons, but they're just more gentle. There was a tiny bit of snow a couple of the winters that I was there, just a dusting. But I would say, generally speaking, in the winter, you're probably talking in the 40s. Well, that's not cold at all. Nice. I mean, it's nice. It's even in now in the summer, you know, much over 70 is a heat wave. And you'll see people running around in their short pants and getting sunburned. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a big deal, right? Right. That where I lived, and I think many places in Ireland, the sun comes out pretty much every day. Mm. It can be torrential rain. And 20 minutes later, the sky clears, there's a rainbow. Oh, nice. <laughs> and the sun is shining. So you don't really suffer that, what do they call it? The seasonal disorder. Oh, oh yeah. You know, Sad. Oh, that's because, nice. Too. So now there are days, of course, there are days in the winter when it can get very gloomy. But overall, you see the sun. It may only be 10 or 15 minutes a day, but it's still shining. That's so nice. Yeah. yeah. Now, it rains a lot. If you don't like rain, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the good comes with a little bit of bad, although I, I happen to like rain. I, I do a lot of work when it rains for some reason. I do, too. But the one thing is I, I think I could count on one hand the number of times that I ever left the house without a raincoat. Just, oh you know, <laughs> especially right. if you're on foot. Just like England. You got to be ready for that rain. Okay. So for the time being, you can travel to Ireland. I guess once COVID moves along a little further, you can travel to Ireland for what, um, 90 days at a stretch at this point? That's correct. All right. And is there a retirement visa for Ireland? Not really. It's a, it's a, oh, what do they call it? I think it's stamp zero, which means nothing to anybody, but it's, it's just sort of like a temporary, you can stay here for a year. But again, you've got to have, I think the, it, it used to be when I went there in 2013, there was no specific amount. Just show that you can support yourself. Now you have to have an 
annual income of 50,000 euros, which is more than most Irish citizens <laughs> that part of the country would have, mm-hmm. certainly more than my retirement income was. And then the equivalent of cash sufficient to purchase a home, which they're saying is about 150,000 euros. Wow. I just am not in that category. And a lot of people aren't, you know. Right, right. And and for the audience, um, well, today anyway, uh, a euro is about one, a little over a dollar, like a dollar 15. Yeah, um, that fluctuates, yeah. of course. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, that sounded quite interesting, and uh, I definitely want to visit Ireland. It's one of the many countries on our list, and people will call me Gillian, and I'll feel just at home, right at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's talk about Fletcher. How did you zone in, or how did you decide on Fletcher? Well, while I was fighting immigration, which I did for months, I was also, with the other hand, doing research on the internet for where can I go in the States? I'm not going back to Southern California, not in a heartbeat. Paid me. Well, maybe if you paid me. (laughs) It depends uh, how much. Yeah. I knew when I retired from Southern California that I couldn't afford to live there. It's just too expensive for a retiree unless you have been really smart with your money, which I have not. Mm -mm. Most Uh, Americans have not. Yeah. Essentially, I was looking for my... Irish village in America. Well, I ended up going to Oregon, where I spent, you know, part of my childhood and young adulthood and still have relatives there. But every place that I wanted or thought maybe, okay, this might be all right. I couldn't afford. Mm, You know, other people wanted to live too. (laughs) So I ended up in a really, I, I won't even mention the name of the town, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I felt very isolated. I didn't, I really missed Ireland with a ferocity. I mean, mm. I was not in a good place. So mm. that had some sure mm. on my perspective. I, I understand that. But so while I was there, uh, I spent the next nine months researching where else can I go? Because I just was renting there. My research led me to my mind led me here because decades ago, I took a trip when I was married. I took a trip around the country, starting in Portland, Oregon, going down the coast, all across the southern states, all up the east coast and back across the northern states. And in those travels, we came through the Smoky Mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains. There was something about it that I just, I still remembered the feeling of it. Mm. I I can't really tell you what the feeling was, but just it really um, attracted me. I thought about how I felt about this area. I mean, but that was decades ago. That was when I was in my 20s. But I thought, well, what the heck? And I so I did some research. Uh, Looked like it was certainly cheaper for housing, reasonably tax-friendly to retirees, not not in the top 10, but good enough. So I took a trip out here, knew immediately when I got here, there was just something about it that I really liked. And I I think part of that was the uh, Southern culture. A lot of people don't really consider this the South, but it is. And there's a Celtic connection. The earliest settlers in Appalachia. I know people say Appalachia, but it's Appalachia. Oh, good to know. (laughs) We're the Scots-Irish. So there's a lot of that influence in like bluegrass music, 
mountain music, the flat footing dancing is very much like Sean Nose dancing in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think it was just a combination of things, but you know, and I like it here. It's just not Ireland. <laughs> um, how would you compare the local, the locals, I guess, uh, are they friendly based on your experience in Ireland? How would you rate it? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, people are overall friendly. It's just that I'm in a different setting. Fletcher is not, is primarily commercial and residential. There is no sort of downtown town square, you know, that's, I think where you get your real sense of community and that's what I miss. Okay. Or one of the things I miss. Right. So are there walking distance? Are there coffee houses that you can go to though? Distance is not happening here. Sidewalks are virtually non-existent. So in your life in your hands to get out on the road, unfortunately. So you need it. You need You need a car. Absolutely. So I, yeah, I got a car in short order as soon as I uh, moved here. I must say, I used to commute like you in mm. California. In fact, one place I commuted for two hours each oh. way. Oh, my wow. goodness. In uh, Century City, which is mm-hmm. part of L.A., and I lived in Orange County. But it was such a good job. I hate it. But that's when I used to listen to podcasts, too, and I really enjoyed <laughs> the time. But anyway, walking. Wow. Yeah. So, and and I live very near the main drag from the airport. Yes. So it's just commercial. It's just not a road that you particularly want to go out and walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I pretty much drive everywhere. Unfortunately. Okay. So how far is the airport from you? Mile and a half. <gasps> oh my goodness. Wow. Do, do the planes bother you when you try to sleep and things like that? Well, you know, it's, it's quite surprising. They must take off in a different direction. I rarely ever hear airplanes. They do use this as a stopover. I just read this because I was wondering about it. The military, I don't know which branch, uses the Asheville Airport as a stopover when they're doing exercises because the terrain is similar to other like European countries. And uh, so occasionally you'll hear a really loud one, but very, very rarely. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And and this is a regional airport. But I mean, you can't get international flights out of there, can you? No, you'd have to go. You you take Asheville to Atlanta or Chicago or okay. Charlotte or. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. For me, I one of my criteria for a retirement is to be within 30 minutes of an of an international airport or airport, if possible. Absolutely. It. I mean, when I I usually at least once a year go out west to visit family in California, I just I leave my car in the garage, mm-hmm. take an Uber. And I mean, this the airport is lovely. It's very small and there's no like huge lines or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a real plus. Yeah, because, yeah. you you know, you you know, so much time is spent traveling to the airport. And if you do a lot of traveling, it's a nightmare. You know, can you talk about the cost of living in Fletcher? You know, I don't have statistics or specifics. I would say, well, I know for a fact that housing is considerably cheaper than in many parts of the country. I think food is probably I don't know, because I can't I don't have anything to compare it to now. Mm. I mean, prices have gone up in the last six months, taxes are fairly good for retirees. All right. Can you approximate, you said housing was fairly priced. Do you know the cost of housing, for example? The only thing I can uh, uh, compare it to with exact figures would be, I had a two bedroom, two bath 
condominium with a detached single car garage in Rancho Santa Margarita, which is in Southern California, between LA and San Diego. I sold that place in 2013 for 260, 265, something like that. 2013. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. Yeah. COVID, Forget about COVID it. COVID went up. Yeah. I bought this place in 2017, which is a three bedroom, two and a half baths, attached single garage, little back patio area, small front yard, very nice, quiet community, 161,000. Oh my wow. Lord. Nice. Gone up, of course. Yes. Yeah. And like, I mean, anything's cheaper than California or New York, right? <laughs> right, right. But still, that's so reasonable for what you're getting. Yeah. I think these places are around 200K now. Still. Oh, yeah, that's, that's still. inexpensive still. Yeah. yeah. So Fletcher is, what do you say, about 12 miles from Asheville? Yeah. I think it takes about, it depends on where you're going, but to downtown Asheville. But the 50, point is, Asheville is much more expensive, I assume, correct? It is. It is. Okay. For housing, you mean, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, for housing. So yeah. so in Fletcher, you can be near Asheville and get a fairly good deal on a place, it sounds like. And Hendersonville, which is the other direction, that's right. south, about 10, 15 minutes. And both have really nice downtown areas, just really fun to visit. How expensive is Hendersonville, do you think? I think Hendersonville is comparable to Fletcher because, of course, you're getting further away from your employment hub mm -hmm. in Asheville. I think it's about the same as here. But unlike Fletcher, Henderson has a little downtown. Yeah, I actually started out looking in Hendersonville, but I just didn't find what I uh -huh. needed. So that's how I ended up here. And I, I kind of actually liked the fact that I'm so close to Hendersonville and Asheville. Oh, nice. Yeah. So what types of activities are found in Fletcher? You're right near the mountains, right? Is hiking? Oh, yeah. Anything outdoor. Anything outdoor. <laughs> Other than that, Fletcher, like I said, it's not. It's just commercial, the airport, and residential. There isn't. Oh, I think they have a few family things at the local park here, you know, egg hunts at Easter and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. If you were going to do anything other than outdoor activities, you would go to Hendersonville or Asheville. Okay. Which has a lot of yeah. arts and mm -hmm. museums mm -hmm. and things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a local movie theater uh, in Fletcher? It's not. Well, it's not local, local. It's considered South Asheville, but it's maybe 10 minutes from here. Oh, oh nice. So that's nice. Yeah. So there's there's plenty for you to do. I mean, writing, I know, takes up a lot of time, but there's plenty to do. Oh, definitely. Especially now that we're opening. Yes. You know. And how's the traffic in your area? Oh, it was <laughs> nice during the pandemic. <laughs> but it's pretty bad. It's really pretty bad because, you see, tourist season here is about probably the beginning of May till the beginning of November. Wow. That's tourist season. Oh, Lord. almost the whole year. Well, summer, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then you've got leaf season. Oh, yeah. In October. And we get people, oh my gosh, we get people from everywhere to see the leaves. Good leaf year, it's astonishing. It really is. Yeah, a, yeah. a good leaf year, Gil. <laughs> I know. I would love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what about the healthcare? Are there good doctors in Fletcher, you know, hospital wise? Oh, yeah. Uh, the company that I work for, I guess I can say. Yeah, of course. Of Advent Healthcare is has a very high reputation. And I think overall, healthcare is the standard is 
good here. Oh, great. So in terms of finding a general practitioner or someone that you can easily get to if you if you should you need something it easily within reach, you would say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. 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 And there's a lot of urgent care facilities. Oh, right. Walk-in kind of places, mm-hmm. several different hospitals. So yeah, it's unless you live way up on the mountain, then it might be a different story, but Okay, so all the amenities are satisfied, I'm sure, with your research, those were on. Yes. So, Jane, where is the nearest hospital for emergency purposes from you? About less than 10 minutes away. Oh, great. With an urgent care, about two minutes away. Oh, okay. okay. I have a side question. When we were talking to you off the air, you mentioned that your father was the national sales director for M&M Mars. For me, that would be a dream childhood can you tell us any stories about that? Sure. <laughs> he actually started as a food broker, which means he sold foods for different companies. So at one time we had our garage was a, you know, like a grocery store and that included a lot of candy. But then when he started working for m M&M and Mars, we had anything m M&M and Mars makes, Snickers, Milky Way, M&Ms, you name it, boxes of that stuff in the garage. Now, clearly, we didn't have free hand to just go help ourselves, but there was never a shortage, let's say, of uh, sweets. Oh, man. And were they defects or not? Oh, no, because as because he was originally a salesperson. Oh, right, right. See, he would have these things that he was taking to stores either as samples or whatever. Right. No, but now at, at the M&M factory, uh, which we got to tour when my dad retired, two brothers and my sister and my mom. It was something like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Truly. I mean, you could eat off the floor. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It it was just immaculate. They do have one place where there are two, two or three people sitting, watching a conveyor belt with all these M&Ms going by. Right. And they're to pick out the ones that aren't perfect. And those go go into a vat. And at the end of the day, they let the employees take however much of that they want. They take it home for free. Oh, wow. That's nice. That's so nice. And were you privy when they would change the color of the M&Ms? Were you privy as to (laughs) which color would would be taken out or? or... I I saw how they did the colors. They they have these big, it looks like giant laundromat dryers. (laughs) I mean, huge. And each one is a different color. And so the little chocolate candies go in and then the candy coating goes in and they tumble it, polish it, and then it comes out on the conveyor belt. Wow. (laughs) Well, I have to say in the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so, whoever's doing their marketing has done an amazing job. I mean, you know, who doesn't love those two two characters? (laughs) But but Jane, that information about the color, you can't get anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, It's top secret. It is. It's top secret. Okay. All right. Is, um, I think we've covered a lot, Jane. I've, I've gotten a good flavor of Fletcher. Is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners that we may have uh, skipped or left out? About Fletcher, I like I said, if you're looking for the cute little village, that's not it. But if you're looking for a place that is reasonably safe as far as like crime, mm. access to like you mentioned healthcare all the other amenities that people look for. It's a, I think it's a good place to live, a reasonable place. And really the thing that attracts me most about it 
is that I'm so close to being able to drive to, for instance, Great Smoky Mountains National Park is an hour and a half from here. Nice. Oh, wow. And and you also mentioned earlier, you know, the waterfalls and the hiking trails and the, I mean, it's just endless places to go that are just beautiful. Nice. Any words of wisdom for people who are seeking to retire? That's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, you just have to, you got to put the work in, you got to, you got to check out the things that are important to you individually. And you got to be willing to take the risk, take the leap, because what's the worst that can happen? You don't like it. I guess you got to go someplace else. I'd just like to mention Jane's, Jane Fadley's book will be mentioned in our show notes. And I especially like to say that two books I'm particularly interested in are the book where she lives in Ireland, that is Chickens in the Garden, Wellies by the Door, and American in Rural Ireland. And then the one where she leaves Ireland, that one is called Leaving Ireland, The Long Road Back to America. And that one you talk a little about going to North Carolina. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. I would say about two thirds of the book, really, it keeps going back to Ireland in my (laughs) opinion, but it's mostly takes place in Western North Carolina and just people I've met and places, you know, things I've done, et cetera. So I think it would give people a bit of the flavor of the area. Yeah. I, I actually have one last question. If Ireland would have changed their laws and you could move back there, would you? If I could afford it <laughs> at this point, you know, I, I used a lot of money to make the initial move to Ireland. Sure. Get myself settled, you know, you're buying household stuff, but having to leave and move back and resettling in Oregon and then moving from there and resettling in North Carolina. I've depleted a lot, a lot of my money. I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. If I could afford it in a hot second. Understood. Huh. Totally. You must be an expert on getting rid of stuff, buying new things. Uh, have you thought about doing a book on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, I should be better at it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but you no longer need that storage shed, right? No. When I came back from Ireland, I uh, I went through that storage shed because I'd been paying, I don't know, $72 a month or something. Mm saving a bunch of stuff that I ultimately ended up getting rid of anyway. <gasps> oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. You find that you can live with so much less. Yes. Yes. If you don't have it, it's like out of sight, out of mind. And I really didn't need that anyway. And why am I keeping it? Exactly. Exactly. It there, It's so true. If you haven't touched something in, let's say, a year or even nine months, you really don't need it. We're, we're, we're trying to do that now. No, and no, Gene, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I, I myself have uh, have baggage, baggage both mentally and physically. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, Jane Fadley, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy our paths crossed and uh, we will be in touch. Thank you for joining the show. It's been my pleasure meeting both of you and I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was great. All right. Be, Be well. All right. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. 
Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well.